I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Yes, you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. We are back after a short hiatus of international football. Scotland, once again, being very enjoyable to watch, a very good team, and Ireland once again losing every game that they were playing over the course of the last couple of weeks. But we can only put that down to one thing, Alan, and that is the fact that Liam Scales was not called up to the Ireland squad for their games against Netherlands and against France, but he is included in Celtic's Champions League squad as they prepare for their first game against Feyenoord next week so on the show today we are going to be looking ahead to that James is here as well as we look ahead to the game against Dundee this Saturday as we return to league football so league football and Champions League football on today's show gents how are you I, I missed the show I missed I've been waiting four years we've been doing this show and I've been waiting for my opportunity to talk about Liam Scales and I missed the podcast after the derby that Liam Scales got man of the match in it's just incredible stuff it is because you know he might never play for Celtic again. So you, you really did miss it. <laughs> Surely somebody else has got to be. <laughs> no, well, life's, I mean, all, bring... life's all about timing, and uh, life is all yeah. about timing. And you, you got to make I mean, your I own listen, luck. Uh, if you want to spend the first five minutes just having your, because you're not had a chance to have a gloat, then we can do that. We can we can fill another five minutes of gloating before we all get warmed up. That's fine. Listen, <laughs> judging judging on Celtic's injury record so far this season, I think we're going to see a lot of limb skills. Um, <laughs> but, Can he play right and, wing? <laughs> and, and listen, it's been proven. It's been proven after the derby. It's it's not a bad thing to see see some more limb skills in in the defence. You know, you know, there's a lot of confirmation bias here, but I'm just saying he did get man of the match. We're we're a dehydrated Greg Taylor away from seeing him at left back, apparently from the. <laughs> the champions league uh, squad so um yep more joy yeah. to occur more opportunities for enda call to gloat may be coming well, in the weeks ahead and believe you me they will be coming and it will happen if liam scales uh, gets onto the football pitch in the champions league against Feyenoord. and uh, we'll talk about that later on the show let's kick off with the the league stuff because i mean the derby game was built up to such an extent of it's important and it probably will prove to be vital come the end of the season. But the derby match is absolutely pointless. Getting a win like that, putting in a performance like that without following that up with another win against a team that Celtic should be beating uh, based upon their relative strengths. Um, bad news, Alan, before we go into this weekend, and that is that Lila Bada has picked up an injury on his international duty. Not really something that Celtic can control if a player does get injured on international duty, but it it just seems to be a repeating of sort of these soft tissue injuries that players have been uh, undergoing over the last couple of months for Celtic. And this could be a costly one for, because it looks like Lillibada could be out for the rest of the year, as in the cal- calendar year of 2024. So, I mean, that's a huge blow considering how light Celtic are currently on players, firstly. It is. It's uh, it's well, it's disappointing for him. Uh, it's disappointing for me because I think I nominated him for you know end of season like young player of the year and all sorts of things like that. But that's the least of our worries. Yeah, it's just another like you say, it's another um, soft tissue injury. Uh, I you know I don't know to what extent that the things that Celtic do to monitor players can be predictive in terms of because I would have thought 
again, that's not, I've been chatting to my, my son's a physiology graduate. I was having a chat to him about this in terms of, you know, to what extent can we expect software to look at sort of, you know, feed in scan results, let's say, and other data and then have a kind of, you know, uh, algorithmic learning engine that sort of, um, you know, almost predicts the, the probability of a, of a muscle injury based on, you know, what state your fibres in around your quad and all that sort of thing. But I would have thought, you know, that isn't like completely science fiction to be able to do that. And, and, you know, and I know James has alluded to this Zone 7 software in the past, which apparently Celtic have got or have had at one point. Uh, do You know, how is it used? You know, what can it tell you? What can't it tell you? What are the limitations? So, you know, maybe James can get more into that because I must admit I'm just kind of asking questions really. I'm not giving opinions. It's really just the extent to which uh, really the Celtic can be getting ahead of that by almost saying, look, this player's hamstring looks 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 like a hamstring that could, you know, could be injured if if it's not rested for a couple of weeks, that type of thing. I mean, I'm, I'm being simplistic, but yeah, it's certainly, you know, these things do tend to happen. As I said before, it, it, it does tend to be the case that you, therefore you, you, you place risk upon risk. Um, I think Celtic probably no different to any other club in the world, frankly, probably you know, with few exceptions. When they're faced with injuries in certain areas, other players get rushed back, like Carter Vickers potentially, and therefore that just compounds uh, the problem. The more injuries you have, the more likely you are to have to put people on the bench that maybe aren't quite ready yet and all that. So uh, there's a compound risk factor to all the, all the when you start getting a, a number of injuries, and especially in, in, um, in the same uh, part of the team. And then you add on the fact that you, when you buy new players, They've all been at different clubs. The, their calendars are not quite aligned. They've probably done different degrees of training. They've not necessarily done the same training. They don't play the same way you play. They might have been playing quite a, you know, passive system of play. And then suddenly you're asking them to play a hyper-aggressive pressing style of football. How many sessions does it take to get the player up to speed, um, both physically and mentally in terms of fitness and to fit into the system, etc. All those factors, which are more likely to happen at the beginning of the season, actually, because uh, that's when you tend to buy new players and when new players are less um, likely to fit in with whatever regime and, 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 and training um, that you have. So, you know, I've said before, it's it's too early, I think, into Rogers' time. Some of these are actually historical issues. Some of them are, as, as with Leo Labada, um, picked up on international duty. But again, you know, to what extent does the club monitor all this and what warning signs does the capabilities that the club have allow you to kind of get ahead of this? I suppose these are the questions I have in my mind. Yeah, I, and I was thinking about that and the style of play and the style of management, and it didn't really add up why there would be so many injuries under a Brendan Rodgers uh, versus where the players were under Ange Postacoglu because, I mean, it's not as if Ange played this brand of football where the players would end up, you know, losing their fitness as the season progressed. I think it would be the the opposite. You know, the they were instructed to play a high-intensity style of football. And I would probably compare it to Marcelo Bielsa's time at Leeds, um, when it came to the end and the players, the Leeds players were just looking sluggish. They were looking tired. They were picking up injuries here, there and everywhere. And if you look at the way that Celtic ended last season, where the players look sluggish and people kind of put it down to, um, you know, they'd already won the title, they'd phoned it in. There is a potential that this is just an, a stress of the last two years under Ange football uh, for these players and the intensity of the training, the intensity of the play, the intensity of all the games because there were players playing almost every single game of the season last year without many substitutions um, until Celtic had wrapped up the league. So you could be looking at an issue here that's not really Brendan Rodgers' fault. He comes in and he inherits a squad that James are just tired, potentially, after two really hard seasons of Ange football. Yeah, I, this is a a classic example of um, you know ba- t- talking on a topic where uh, I have zero domain knowledge uh, relative to the actual physiology part and the kinesiology and all these you know yeah um, everything we un- say here is topic. pure speculation really right um, so what I have done now where I do have some domain knowledge is um, 
in risk and modeling risk and decision attribution and that type of thing and decision risk attribution. And um, so for anyone who's interested, you can go, you can go to zone seven AI's website and they, they have a kind of a case study. They have various white papers and um, they had a, one of the things that they have, you know, again, it's obviously going to be sales oriented. They're a commercial operation, but um, they had a profile of Napoli's head of medical or whatever, like, you know, head physio. I don't know. Whoever's whoever's in charge of Napoli's um, uh, infrastructure as far as player conditioning and and um, that kind of stuff. And he walking through, they basically walk through like how they adopted Zone 7 and the challenges that they have this these interesting issues that you have with t- player types. Cause you have, um, this is my, this wasn't in the profile, but this is my add on is like, you know, you have different physiological types, you have different players, with different body types, um, lifestyles, habits, all this stuff is, is goes into the complexity of this. And they were talking about how they have players that are in kind of the match day squad that, you know, the people that, or in the first 11, let's say, who, who their workload is very high, and you have a subsection of them that would get flagged by Zone 7 as more regular um, warning issues, meaning that they would have uh, more greater frequency of potential um, soft tissue risk. And then you had players that didn't play as much that were just training, and within that subset, you would have certain players that would have conditional. So that, you know, basically this, this um, article, if you want to call it that, was... Uh, exploring the idiosyncratic nature of all this and how they were working with Zone Seven to try and figure some of this stuff out, and that it, this is really is it's a it's a work in process because um, you know this kind of technology hasn't been around for a long, long time. Um, but you know, I think there's pretty good evidence that the clubs that have been deploying these kind of methodologies and they've been doing it successfully and actually listening. Um, and deploying it within their kind of decision-making matrix and their risk management is that they're having a dramatic reduction in soft tissue injuries. Um, so that this is where you get back into, you know, you can have, you can spend all the money you want on expensive data or high quality of this or the best scouts in the world. And then if you're not actually using those tools to have a coherent, high quality uh, decision process, then, you know, so I, to, to Alan's point, like we don't know, it's too early, but um, given the kind of conditional risk that we saw going into the Rogers era, given his track record, um, Celtics issues in the past with injury risk management, uh, including under Ange, which it did seem to get better. And we talked about that. It seemed like, you know, with the squad depth improving and um, he, he did aggressively sub, meaning that he, there weren't a lot of games when he wasn't using the full five subs, that kind of thing. Um, to try and manage workloads, at least theoretically, that would be a reasonable part of of the explanation. Um, so yeah, it's you know, in isolation, any one of these. I mean, you get the the ones like Alistair Johnson, where he just gets kicked or something and ends up with a you know a, a trauma event that causes an injury injury on international duty. To me, that's completely different than you know, at least the reports right that I've seen today is about a you know, ruptured a muscle. I mean, that, that's a totally different animal. Like that's not a pool. That's a severity of muscle injury that requires usually surgery to reattach a tendon like Kyogo had, um, two seasons ago and out multiple months. And again, I'm not an expert. I don't have domain expertise particularly, but my understanding is you don't just rupture a muscle out of nowhere, especially a professional athlete. I mean, that's not, that's not typical. Um, I mean, there's usually a process of injury that takes place, a pull, and then you work, you know, you play through it or you try to play through it. That kind of thing, um, is more likely. It's not that, you know, again, who knows it it could be possible, but, um, when you take the totality of this, I think, you know, it's further could be confirmation bias, but to me, it's another signal of worry that these issues can persist and, um, you know, we're we're certainly in the midst of one of those episodes right now, and like to think it will get better over the season as people get back. Um, but we're now at a point where there's not a lot, much, you know, there's not much we can do until January. Uh, so we kind of just have to live with this uh, for, mm-hmm. for the time being. 
Well, on the theme of living with it then, this weekend against Dundee, is it Yang comes in, Alan, to your mind, for the the next in line to, to start as winger for Celtic? We've seen James Forrest come off the bench quite a bit under Brendan Rodgers. He still seems to think he has a little bit in him. So um, is it Yang or Forrest for you this weekend, do you reckon? Or someone else? Maybe Lewis Palmer? Whoever, yeah, well, whoever you bring in, you're probably prepping them for playing against Feyenoord, right? So it would be very odd to play somebody, uh, player A against Dundee, and then bring in player B, <laughs> especially if it's a Yang or a Palmer that's had limited minutes. To throw them in and Rota down would seem unlikely to me. So I suspect that we'll see you know, who's got the, the shirt, as it were, to lose uh, on on the on the weekend. Um, I mean, Yang has clearly shown glimpses and probably not done anything dramatically wrong in his minutes so far. Um, and so, just on that basis, would potentially be the favourite to start. I don't know. You know, Palmer's been away on international duty. Um, had a good game by all accounts for Honduras during the week, but. In terms of you know, would you throw him in? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. So um, at the moment, it would appear to be Yang. I, I honestly don't see Forrest being more than fourth or fifth choice winger. Really, um, I just don't think that the the high end pace is there anymore. Um, as much as he's you know a good, always has been a good decision maker with the ball. Um, so yeah, that I think that's really that's really where 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 we are. Um, I mean, you know the. The, the Champions League squad announcement really has laid bare uh, not a lot of the risks we talked about in terms of injury, but also in terms of the gaps after the window closed in terms of issues that were not addressed. Uh, you know, it was really amplified loud and clear by uh, by those, you know, having to having to pick scales and having to leave Burnaby out are two symptoms of the same problem, as we as we well know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not great. It's not ideal, but... Uh, I think, as I've said before, <laughs> um, you know, I'll enjoy the Champions League games to some extent, but I'm not expecting a lot. But you know, to get back to Dundee, uh, long story short, it looks like it'll probably be Yang to start, and that would, if he does a, providing he does a decent job, he's probably in line to start on Tuesday. I think he's been pretty decent. Uh, now, the one thing I will say about Yang is he seems like one of these players that tries to do everything every single time that he gets the ball. And maybe the smarter play is keeping possession instead of turning and going at your winger every single time but or going at your defender. But he's an atypical winger is essentially what I'm saying, which is sort of the trend in mainland Europe to what we're seeing teams move towards again is sort of uh, the atypical wingers who like to excite people but can be damn frustrating at times as well. But against a team like Dundee, it's you may as well give him a chance to to get his uh, first proper sort of minutes as a as a starter for Celtic and see what he can do. I will say there is no club to my mind across Europe that is going to have the same preparation to Celtic in the Champions League as okay your team against Dundee. That's going to be your team against Feyenoord and having that your litmus test. I just think it is one of the classic issues with Celtic's preparations for the Champions League, James, is that there's just no way that Celtic can go out against Dundee and have any meaningful sort of idea of how their game plan is going to look against Feyenoord on Tuesday then. It's an interesting quandary because um, and I, I, we, we'll probably get into this a little bit, but I, I don't think Dundee is the uh, proposition that we've seen historically. Um, and, and like I said, we'll get into that, but I, th- I think they might pose a bit of a different challenge. I mean, it's still Dundee, but um, there could be some uh, specific aspects to this version of Dundee that are different than what we've seen in recent history. Um, but in that, I mean, just generally, if, if we're talking about, a, a bot, let's say, by reputation, a bottom half domestic opponent who's likely to bunker, what composition of wingers is more likely to increase our chances of of winning or more importantly, not having another St. Johnston at home occur, which is, you know, one of these mind numbing nil, uh, nil draws or something like that, which is probably the more likely risk. Um, and I, I've long held the view and I, I don't, it hasn't really changed that Maeda is not really a great 
option in that regard, meaning that most of what he offers is, is not going to do all of that much um, over time in any one-off game, obviously, who knows. But um, over time, his ability to press, counter-press, for a team like D- Dundee, it's probably going to bunker and probably going to play long ball to at least a decent extent. They're not going to take a lot of time to try and build out from the back. Um, I'm not sure what his incremental role is to, to you know improve the likelihood that we're not going to drop points. But to Allen's point, you're probably going to want to play the same one, the same player. And Maeda absolutely <laughs> has a lot of utility going into Rotterdam. Um, playing against Feyenoord. So, you know, it's kind of a needs must, which priority comes into play. Um, and ideally wouldn't be that big of a, an issue against Dundee. But I, as far as Yang goes, I, I, I mean, I've been in agreement that there's a lot of interesting kind of positive aspects that we've seen, but just, just two, and it's not even, you know, it's basically two matches that he's got material game time in. So it's the sample size is absurdly small, but I think it does match the eye test, but also kind of benchmarks the level of that eye test, which is his turnover rate is in the first percentile. Meaning that, yes, he's a winger that turns the ball over because wingers, that's what wingers do. But relative to other wingers, in this very small sample size, he's done it at a rate that's very high. Um, and he's had some success with that. I mean, that the productive outcomes, he's had some cre- chance creation that, you know, so it's been, it hasn't been netting out to bad, but again, Doing that against Feyenoord, <laughs> who's got a different level of player, uh, particularly to hit us on in, in the attack, I think is you know going into Tuesday will be interesting. The other thing is he's been fouling a lot, so his, his ability to defend within you know Rogers' system, which again will be more tested against uh, Feyenoord. Um, so I, I, you know, caveat: almost no sample size, but looking at his profile coming out of Korea, those were also areas that were question marks in his data profile that I did. Um, so I'm not sure how it'll translate in, in, uh, on Tuesday. Uh, so, you know, I, I'd almost like to see Palma and Maeda. Um, and again, it's not anything against Yang. It's just, to me, it looks like the risk would be lower um, heading into Tuesday if you're not going to kind of optimize for trying to beat Dundee at home, which in theory that would shouldn't be a priority or a, a, a huge challenge. Yeah. I'm now, if there wasn't an international break in between this, that is sort of hindering the amount of game time that these players have to play with each other. I would actually go with Pama and Yang against Dundee for the exact reason of they're both direct attacking players that can get out of defense like Dundee versus Maeda, who is more of a defensive attacker, if that makes any sense. But the only issue with that is if you leave him out of the team, that's a lot of time spent not working with a system ahead of the first Champions League game of the season. But again, maybe Lewis Palma has been brought in for the exact reason of he's Champions League ready and Maeda is not. So like this, these are sort of the interesting facets that you get with uh, Brendan Rodgers Celtic as opposed to an Ange Takagu Celtic where you knew who was going to start for Ange in the Champions League you just don't know who Brendan Rodgers is going to go with at all so uh, very exciting times uh, there could be a, a debut for two Celtic players this weekend as well Paulo Bernardo could come into the midfield potentially and Nat Phillips could be starting at centre-back so I think we'll start with the centre-back because that's more interesting and we could t- talk about Liam Scales a little bit more as well so um do, do Celtic change the back line at all from the game against Rangers? Is it, again, going to be Lagabrielka with scales in the middle with Taylor and uh, Alistair Johnson at right back? Do we keep it at that? Or does Nat Phillips come in for Lagabrielka because of the two absolute you know bombshell moments that he had against Rangers? Oh, dear. Um, I think Phillips does, does come in. You know, listen, as I said last time, you know, Scales had a wonderful, especially second half against uh, you know Ibrox, and again it came you know, for me. It came down to he was asked to defend his eighteen yard box, and he did it very well. You know, all all limbs were involved in clearing and intercepting, getting in the way off, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you know, 
versus five completed passes in the half. At home to Dundee, he's going to be expected to play 100, 120 passes. He's going to expect, be expected to um, you know, set the tempo of the game to get the ball into McGregor's feet, into O'Reilly's feet, etc., to break that initial press. It's something that Scales has done quite well. He just does it too slowly, and that's not probably going to change a whole lot more. Would you really want Liam Scales in Rotterdam playing at centre-back? You know, I don't know a lot about Phillips, but I know he does have Champions League pedigree. He is well regarded at Liverpool. As you know, I think he's got nearly 50 appearances in the first team there. And, um, you know, obviously he's, he's trying to get in ahead of, you know, the likes of Matip and Kanati and Van Dijk, etc. So it's, it's a tough, it's a tough ask. So, but I, I, I honestly, I would expect, you know, I think Lago Bialka for all, he, you rightly say he had some horrendous moments at Ibrox. He's probably the player with the higher, you know, ceiling, the higher potential, the, the one that you're wanting to really develop and get used to scenarios like Dundee at home where you need to progress the ball well and he can he can maybe start to show us his range of long passing especially and then in Rotterdam against that quality of attack. So that that's that's what I expect. Um you know, I think that is probably tough on, on Liam's skills, but in all honesty, I expect Liam and his agent didn't expect to be at Celtic at this point in time. And so this is all kind of we're all kind of in bonus territory here. If I can mm. be a little bit sort of crass about it, I'm not going to say I'm. I'm actually I don't mean this tongue in cheek, and I'm not just saying this because I've been a lame scale stand on the show. But in all honesty, I know you, you know it was one game, so you can't really say it's systematic of symptomatic of of the player himself. But out of the two players playing against Rangers, lame skills looked far more press resistant. Than Lager Bielka. He looked so much more calm on the ball. And I think having that left footed centre back was pretty vital to Celtic getting out of their one half at times against against Rangers. So that's the argument that I put forward for him over Lager Bielka for Feyenoord. I, I you know like in an ideal world, it's going to be Cameron Carter Vickers and Navarrowski. That's that's the long and the short of that is the, the truth of it. But if I'm saying Nat Phillips is going to be a dead on starter for the Champions League, James. I don't know. I think it's a fair and reasonable argument to make that Liam Scales gets the opportunity to play as the left centre back over Nagy Bielka. Yeah, I wish I I didn't agree with you. <laughs> uh, meaning that I, th- mm. I, you know, it's almost horrifying to think it, but I think it is reasonable to hold that view. Meaning that a month ago, the idea of Liam Scales being a reasonable option at left center back going into the champions league um probably would have gotten you excommunicated from uh from celtic twitter um had you uttered such a thing but at this point i mean i i i'm i'm not saying i don't even know what my preference is i mean i it i i see um i see the similar issues with lager bilka and and I, I was quite concerned about his transition period um, when when he became a, a Celtic signing, just because of the nature that he played um, at his prior clubs, and I just didn't see evidence that you know um, he had the, the either the experience or the uh, the skill set yet to be a Brendan Rodgers center back at Celtic. Um, so, you know it. I don't think it's unreasonable to think, okay, well, the options are one and one A. They're not that different from a risk and upside perspective. And maybe the left-footed nature of scales and the fact that he did do a good job defending our our box, which, you know, let's be realistic. That's probably going to be a prominent part of the game on Tuesday. Um, I mean, I think it would be somewhat surprising for us to go in to Rotterdam and dominate the ball and, and, um, you know, impose on a, a pretty good fine ord side. So, um, or a very good fine ord side. So, you know, I, I, for me, it's kind of a coin flip. Like I, I, I think probably my bigger question is, it, I shouldn't say question more of an uncertainty or fascination is I'm really curious to see what Rogers cooks up meaning that what's his kind of tactical, uh, game plan. And does he do anything different from a shape perspective? You know, something like, you know, going 
like three four two one or three four one two or you know he's used different three ba- at the back systems, and you know we have you know Alistair Johnson who can play right center back in a three, so I think that would make sense if you had Phillips in the middle, Scales on the left, Johnson on the right with wing backs and. Um, you know, Maeda and Kyogo is the two kind of pressing forwards in a two-two striker system, that kind of thing. Not not as an attacking uh, focus, but more so to defend from the front. Um, you know, I, I could see that. So I'm I'm really curious because I think that'll play into this as well. Because I I don't think there's um, outside of kind of reputational and you know he's the young guy and we put money into him. Like I, I just from a performance perspective and a profile perspective, I don't see Lager Bielka being like clear and obvious selection over um, scales, as I said, unfortunately. So m- maybe it'll be system and tactics that dictate some of that. Yeah. So J- James, I mean, sorry, just sorry, sorry, Jim, sorry, to, cut, sorry to cut across you. Uh, and I just, I just very quickly checked. So, you know, Listen, I wouldn't normally do this because it's just too small a sample size, but um, just in terms of where we are for the very small minutes that both players have played this season, um, you know, my my sort of go-to boil down of assessing centre-backs is, is defensive action success and possessions one through defensive action. It's really just boiling it down to their defensive action. So it doesn't, I'm not talking about passing or any other sort of on-ball activity or any attacking type metrics here, but generally speaking, these are excellent. I find excellent predictors of of overall sort of central defensive uh, quality. In fact, um, you know, Lagerbielka's stats on those two metrics are, are significantly higher than skills. And I mean, significantly like all right. Lagerbielka's numbers are already like sort of, Carter Vickers level. Now, bear with me. Don't do such throwing things at the screen. This is a very small sample, and it doesn't include things like error rate, <laughs> which we know that you know Lagerbielka doesn't profile well on. So there's lots of caveats, and it's a small sample being the most caveat. But Liam Scales' numbers are kind of down near the sort of you know Jack Henry type territory, whereas Lagerbielka already. But it's a tiny sample, so there is actually a there is actually a case that wouldn't be a very strong case. It's not a case I'd like to make with any great conviction, just based on the numbers. But I would, I'd want to see another, you know, six seven hundred minutes before I would commit to what I've just said. But I'd, I'd, it, I was surprised when I looked at it now as you were speaking that there was such a difference actually already. In, in those numbers. Well, I'll I'll make one more point on the Lager Bielka thing. And this isn't me this isn't me trashing him as a player, by the way. This that's not what I'm trying to do. But the argument that I would make is that this wasn't really a planned signing. It wasn't really a you know a strategic move from Celtic. This was okay, Starfeld has left unexpectedly and his age. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Jint has lined up this guy from Sweden who is, you know, as good at it as him. And he's come in and he's been relatively okay. I think if you're going for a defender in the Champions League, you go for the one that's not going to make the mistake that gives the ball away at the edge of the box and gives you a free shot on goal because Celtic have been punished by that over the last couple of years in the Champions League. And I, you know, Liam Skills could do that and Liam Skills was at fault for, I think it was a Betis goal. Might have been, was it the Betis game that he played in? And he was at fault for his positioning and things like that. So I'm not saying he's flawless, but I I just think he's less error prone, um, which I think will be... I, I think that right. So the, the, this is, I think, the um, you know the, the devil you know versus the the potential devil that you kind of don't know yet. Which is, we know that you know uh, Scales has that in him, um, and that you know even his season at Aberdeen that was a, a problem area at that level. Uh, so it's only, I think, reasonable to expect that that's not going to scale well if he's asked to play on the ball. So, so this goes back to the issue of what does Rodgers ask of his players? What what position does he put his players in relative to a tactical game plan? Because I think it's completely different if we set up in a back three, scales as the left center back, and he's not asked to be a ball playing, like try to absorb the pressure with Joe Hart behind him of a very athletic and young dynamic fine ord team that is pretty good at pressing um that's different than get it the hell out of here <laughs> right and let's go a little old school and use maeda and kyogo to try and get him behind and hit him on the break and hit him in the channels that kind of you know what i mean so mm-hmm. I, I i don't want to see either one of them be asked to be you know uh dominant on the ball center backs in this game i think that's a recipe for potential disaster for both of them. Um, I think Lager vehicle doesn't have as much evidence that that's the case um, from a statistical perspective, but so I'm extrapolating some of that just based on what I have looked at as his track record. And the fact he hasn't really been asked to do this that much and statistically his passing looks a little iffy um, in the short and intermediate term range and, and his turnover rate, that kind of thing historically. So, I, I just, um, you know, it's it, it's I, it's which of lesser two kind of not ideal <laughs> options do you end up going with? And this is where I say the preference would be to set up kind of a game plan with this in mind and not be like Ange would be. I think Ange would probably be more doctrinaire and just saying, okay, we're going to do this anyway. I'm hopeful that maybe Rogers will be more pragmatic um, mm-hmm. and and maybe not try to play. Uh, in such a old school, uh, progressive way, you know, the, the Rogers of 16, 17 and try to build out from the back um, could be a problem. In the interest of balance, so just quickly checking on that point. So to be fair, um, Lagerbielka has four times the number of turnover passes that Scales has. So that's fair. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that I love about the show is that I don't have to back up any of my stuff with statistical <laughs> uh, evidence. So I'm going to stick with my vibes take that Liam Skills should start. But I, I think um, I, I'm, I'm still holding on to hope and maybe it's just hope because it's a trendy thing to do right now that I think Brendan Rodgers could pull out the Manchester City slash Liverpool slash uh, everyone else in the Premier League style thing now that is very trendy with the three centre-backs coming across with the one full-back inverting into the midfield. I think that suits Greg Taylor if he gets to invert into the midfield and we have Liam Scales, Nat Phillips and Alistair Johnson across the back or Lager Bielka, Nat Phillips and Alistair Johnson across the back with uh, Greg Taylor inverting uh, in possession and going back into the 
the flat back four um, out of possession. I think that is something that Celtic could realistically do. That's me understanding football through the medium of people much more clever than I. And maybe Brendan Rodgers has uh, something up his sleeve that is is not that, but is a similar iteration to that. So, I yeah, it's finally we have something to talk about that's more interesting than this is our starting 11. This is how we're going to play. Is it going to be any good against this better opposition? Um, what well, about the midfield then? Well, can, can we let, let's um, can we wrap up on Dundee before we get in dive into too much on on Feyenoord? Well, this is this is all basically Dundee, um, right? Plus okay. Feyenoord. So yeah, in, in the midfield, do, like, do, do we see any changes in the midfield? I personally do not think the Turnbull thing is working. I've seen enough for me to make my decision on, on it so far. The last couple of games, especially the ones uh, that have been important, and the one against Rangers. Uh, Matt, Taylor, uh, Matt O'Reilly has been excellent. McGregor was much better against Rangers, and David Turnbull was absolutely anonymous again, in my personal opinion. But again, not basing that on any evidence or stats uh, that you guys are probably gonna gonna bring to the table. Yeah. So, and as, as I said last week about Turnbull, he was actually very good off the off the ball. He was excellent actually in the, in the first half. He, you know, the the him and O'Reilly combined well to really stop Jack and Ruskin getting the ball forward at almost at all actually uh, in that first half. And then I think he did tire in the second half. He was he did most nearly all of his good work off the ball. To be fair to him, which is not really his game. I mean, you know, David Turnbull does seem to be the player that gets called upon when there's a crisis and then discarded as soon as whoever is fit. But, you know, we've said before, he's more sort of, he's more of a kind of closer to a number 10 than a number eight, really, in terms of a skill set, but without being incredibly um, creative in terms of his short passing. He obviously is, especially at set set pieces, um, good goal threat, as we know doesn't quite have the energy to be like sort of passing an intercepting monster that Matt O'Reilly is becoming and that, that home looks like he has the potential to be as well, actually. So I think the, I think you, you could make a case for um, either home, who's who's was very good in that regard in the second half, Ibrox. If Hitati is fit, then obviously you probably bring him back in, which strengthens you on the ball for sure. But Probably doesn't strengthen you off the ball so much, and we haven't really seen anything of Bernardo, so I can't I can't comment. Although he does look like a genuine all rounder, like he's got a bit of everything, you know, a bit of goal threat, a bit of creativity, a bit of dig, a uh, good passing, etc. It looks like he's got he's got all of that potentially. So it'll be fascinating to see him. But I think again, based on where we are with injuries at the back, what's the safest option? It's probably bringing Hitati back into the team. But then again, you know, if you think project forward to Feyenoord, we're left with this, you know, Hitati, slightly slower McGregor, Taylor, somebody dodgy at left centre back, and Hart. That's just a horrible. <laughs> it's just a horrible part of the of the of the team at the moment, and it's, none of those risks have been, uh, you know, addressed, frankly. And some of it's down to injury, but a lot of them are still there. So there's no perfect answer here, but I think the most sensible one is definitely probably that Hatati comes in. But fascinated to see, you know, how home develops, especially his, his defensive capabilities. And obviously excited as well to see how Bernabe, uh, Bernabe, uh, Bernardo uh, shapes up. Yeah, I don't think I'd play Bernabe in midfield. <laughs> oh, better than, in, better than at fullback, it, it might be <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, again, it's 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 impossible to know where Hatate is at and uh, building his fitness back up. Um, so I mean, I think realistically, maybe getting an hour out of him would be uh, probably, you know, an, an ideal situation. Um, but there again, this is going to be a Saturday to Tuesday turnaround. Someone coming off of a, a muscle in- injury. Um, you know, how that's handled and how and whether he's able to bounce back, um, to the degree we'd probably want. That's a good, that's a question. Um, so yeah, I, 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 for Saturday, I wouldn't have any problem with Holm. Um, I'd be surprised if we see Bernardo over him, uh, to start given that we haven't seen him at all. And, 
I don't think he played much uh, prior. I mean, he's had some international games, I think, in under 21 maybe or something like that. But, you know, he has, he wasn't playing that much, um, if at all, before he coming to Celtic this year. Maybe in some friendlies he had some minutes. But um, so, you know, again, I, I think given who we have, it'll be interesting information to see who Rodgers ends up does going with. Meaning that if, if he does end up going with Bernardo, I think that will speak to maybe where he thinks Holmes at. Um, uh, over the next few months, um, but yeah, I, I'd probably lean again, depending, depending what what's going on with Atate, probably um, Holm O'Reilly and and McGregor. Holm can best be described as a player, like he is just he's a proper player. I think he's he's, I mean, who knows what his ceiling is going to be, but from the flashes that we've seen off the bench, he just. He's so exciting as a young player and exactly as, as exactly what I want to see from uh, quote-unquote number eight where he's not taking the ball, passing it backwards, going back to the man where it came from, going to the left back, going sidewards. He's getting the ball. He's turning. He's already on the half turn. He's bursting forward and he's playing the ball fast and quick and he's probably Brendan Rodgers' dream at the minute if he continues to develop. So I'd have absolutely no issue with him against Dundee. Not quite sure defensively if he's capable of doing the job that we might need against Feyenoord, but I mean we just haven't seen it. He could he could well be, um. But yeah, seriously, um, seriously exciting prospect for the next six seven months. See how he develops. Absolutely. I mean, he, yeah. It, it, sorry, James. I mean, he, again, this is I'm, I'm playing about with ridiculously small samples of data here, but he's the only non-defender. Uh, at the moment, who has got more than averaging more than ten sort of pack passes uh, per ninety minutes, but he's only played like one and one and a bit games, right? So it's, it's ridiculously early. But that's you know, if you want if you want a little flag, a little sort of thing to highlight, that, that's a good one. And the other the other sort of key stat from last week was the number of uh, pack turnovers, which he had five, which is an incredibly high number given he was on the pitch for only. 26 minutes or whatever it was, which speaks a little bit to his defensive positioning, his anticipation, his awareness, being in the right place at the right time from a defensive big point of view to pick up loose passes and so forth. So that, that really speaks to all that. So the, these are these are little signals. They're not definitive evidence. They're just little signals of, of the, some of the things you talked about there, Ender, that, that are promising. But you know, promising. This is the, this is the frustration for me. I mean, promising is great, and we want to see lots of promising in the squad. But we're talking about promising in the in the context of hoping to get anything out of Rotterdam, and that's that. I find that really strange. But that's, we've had this debate before. Yeah, if, if I could, uh, I, I had a, a bit of uh, scouting on Dundee that I thought would be interesting to uh, the audience. Because yes, it, go for it. Yeah, I, I don't think. Um, you know, uh, m- most people don't waste their time like like I do on uh, looking ahead to how Dundee might be uh, comprised this season. And I only dove into them a, l- a little bit more than usual, which is, you know, just a passing look normally uh, because some flags jumped up right away. And um, I-, I don't think this is our kind of traditional expectation of a D- Dundee side. I don't again, I don't know whether that's because of. Um, their new manager, um, Doherty coming in and having a long history in Scottish football, but this being his first um, managerial job or, you know, whether he's had some ideas or whatever. But um, they they are um, relatively young, relatively athletic. They have three in particular lone players, one from Crystal Palace, one from Wimbledon, and um, Forrest Green, I think, is the other one um, at – Central midfield is one of them, and then two of them are forwards. Uh, one's a six foot four. Uh, at least that's what Wisecout has him listed as he looks at, you know, just you know, somewhere around there. He's a big guy, let's put it that way. Um, and and so the way I'm thinking of this is that they're basically and and looking at how they've been playing, um, they they map very similarly to St. Johnston, meaning that they they don't try to be something they're not, you know, that's kind of the Ross County. Um, model to play against Celtic, you know, coming into Celtic Park and, you know, trying to press us high and um, persisting with that and sustaining with it. And they did a decent job of it for a while and then, you know, breaks down and we beat them 4-2, that kind of thing. I don't I don't see that yet in um, 
in Dundee. I think they're much more likely to sit deep, press us at times very intensely, meaning that they are very aggressive when the ball's near their defenders, they attack. So they're, they're very young, athletic, and aggressive, but it seems like they're pretty smart about it. They're not kind of flailing about. Um, so I, I could see them basically being a higher quality version of what we faced against St. Johnston when we drew nil-nil, which, you know, again, that was a comfortable game in a lot of respects, a very disappointing one. But um, I, I, I see Dundee being at least one, maybe two levels above what St. Johnston's doing, not only from it looks like from a coherent perspective, but um, some of the players that they have seem to be a, a material improvement compared to what we've seen, particularly from an athletic profile perspective um, than in the past. So, um, you know, again, still shouldn't be a, a situation where it's a game we don't control and win comfortably. It's just, in, you know, if you look at the skew of, of risk, I'm a lot more nervous now uh, than I normally would be, you know, so is that, when I say a lot more, normally it would be like a half of 1% concern and maybe it's like a 5% concern now. So it's still really, mm-hmm. really low, but a lot higher than it would normally be um, going into a home match against Dundee. Yeah, I think the only way to find out what height that guy is is to put him beside Stephen Welsh and then, you can, <laughs> then you'll, you'll know for sure by yeah, judging yeah. the difference. Yeah. <laughs> They've actually, actually on that on that topic, they um, they've actually got the best, the highest xG generated from set plays. Our favorite favorite topic in the league so far this season, which is only by much, right? But it's it's very early days. They're another one of the team. There seems to be a trend this season, or maybe it isn't a trend, and I've only just started noticing it. (laughs) It's probably more likely. But they're another one of those teams that they're looking. They're not looking to play any football at all. In their own defensive third, they're looking to get them, and most of their, the, the, you know, nearly sixty percent of their passes are completed in your half, not their half, which is we're seeing that more and more now. But they've actually got the the, the third best, not just xG differential, but post shot xG differential. So that's shots that are on target. That actually is pretty impressive. Their post shot xG is one point five three four and point nine one against, which is pretty good actually. So I mean it's it's actually pretty similar to um to the Rangers one to be fair. So you know they they um they're not to be underestimated I don't think and as as James says they seem to be going down the Ross County route in some respects what Ross County did well I think was source loan players from especially from England and accepted the fact that they were only going to be there for a season and that they were going to have to have some turnover but if you can get a player in who does well plays loads of minutes um, and raises their profile, then you're going to get more clubs coming to you and say, well, can you do the same thing for this guy type of thing? So it's not a bad model, and it's a better model than traditional Dundee model of getting into debt and then going into administration, which is something that that club's done a few times. So, yeah, definitely a different proposition, I would say, than the last time we played Dundee. We were just an awful mess uh, a couple of years ago. Mm. So then in conclusion to this podcast, which ended up being more of a Feyenoord preview than a Dundee preview, which is, I think, fair enough. Um, what are we thinking for this weekend? Are we thinking it's going to be, this is almost a show of the cards from Brendan Rodgers of how we're going to play or the team that's going to play at least? Or is this going to be just a continuation of league football, maybe be- hopefully better than what we've seen so far this season? Uh, maybe an improvement on some of the patterns of play that we've seen against Rangers, which were good and promising um, or is this going to be, yeah, like I said, is this going to be like a tester for Feyenoord, as much as a tester you can get from Dundee for playing Feyenoord? Yeah, I, I think it's um, all and none of the above, meaning that um, it they're going to play, I would expect them to play nowhere, nothing like Feyenoord, um, a completely different type of game, a different kind of challenge from a strategy perspective. Um but I also have that anxiety, meaning that if some of these um, issues that we were talking about and worried about heading into the game against Rangers are persisting, um, and and um, you know that that Rangers game was more about them being awful than us doing that well, 
Um, and we, you know, ultimately, obviously, you want the result, get the three points. Um, but if if it's not a dramatic improvement in kind of quality of performance, I think that's going to be concerning. Um, and I'm very kind of nervous going into Tuesday. I mean, I, I think Feyenoord is a rough matchup for us. Um, I mean, obviously, we've talked we talked about it last week that you know <laughs> uh, there were no no great options in that pot one. There never is. Um, maybe Frankfurt last season would have been the, the easiest that we've seen in in a while. Um, and I'm say easiest relative. I mean, still a good team, but um, I, Feyenoord. I, I did a thread last week. I mean, Feyenoord to me are like a litmus test for us, meaning that they're kind of where we should be on, on a club basis, meaning that they haven't been the most innovative. They haven't been the most forward thinking club. Um, they're going through a talent cycle right now. I mean, they've got a pretty good influx of whether it's through transfer market or their own development, like their current squad is at that nice bulge where they got a bunch of young, good players. They haven't sold a bunch of them yet. Um, they've been selling one maybe a season and then reinvesting it and doing a pretty good job, all things being equal. So they're very young. They're very athletic. They're very aggressive. Um, so, you know, if we were full strength, I'd be like, oh, this could be a really good game. Like, you know, you know, we could we could give them a shot, you know, uh, give them a good game and either win or lose three or four, three, you know, like, you know, kind of like the, the Ange at, at Betis game. Um, that kind of t- high tempo back and forth match. I just don't, uh, given our current state, I'm really worried that we don't have what it takes to go toe to toe. And then it comes down to, okay, how do we actually manage the game? Um, and wh- whether or not we're in a situation where it's almost like no matter what we do, it's going to be pretty rough. And that's kind of where I'm falling down right now is that I, I'm having a tough time f- thinking about what our pathway is to getting a result outside of you know, just kind of one of these wacky variance games where they can't get a shot on target and Joe Hart's and or Joe Hart's, you know, stands on his head. Um, uh, or there's like, you know, a red card or a, for them or some kind of weird confluence of errors on their part. Um, but yeah, it, it to me, it's a, a pretty tough matchup. You're concurring, Don? Well, be I, 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 I mean, admittedly, I've not really seen much of them based on the data. It doesn't look like they're a massive pressing team. They seem to be very low on interceptions, tackles, even fouls in the Dutch league. Certainly, I was looking at you know, almost like the lowest of all of those categories, which doesn't suggest a team that is is pressing particularly high. They're a possession-based team. Their shape will be very similar to Celtics. It will be either a four-two-three-one or four-three-three type variant, very similar. Very possession-based. I think the average three percent possession in the Dutch uh, league. Um, they're fair again. If you look at sort of um, Opta do a thing where it's it's speed that directness, speed up to be getting the ball up the pitch versus number of passes in a sequence. They're very similar to Celtic. Very similar. Um, I, don't, I don't suspect they don't, but they don't hardly ever play any long balls at all. Whereas Celtic under Rodgers, we are playing more. Um, early balls, although with some of our slow build-up play is slow, we're also, the varieties, we're, we're pinging long balls into Maida or Kyogo on occasion. I don't think you'll see that with with um, with Feyenoord. So, um, as I say, I think their main keeper is injured, their main right-back is injured, so they've got a couple of key players out as well, but their attack looks pretty potent. You know, they lead the league in terms of, you know, number of shots on target per game. Um, on XG, on on goals scored, all, all that really, and also the are, are nearly double the number of efforts that they get uh, from step plays again, which is another concern. Uh, uh, more than double any other team in the Dutch league. It's only four, three. I mean, most teams have played three games. They've played four, but you know, they've, there's a little bit of skewing there. Two of their league games are against teams that look like they're going to be at the bottom of the league, and the Dutch, the Dutch first division is a little bit skewed in terms of. It's eighteen teams, and the ones at the bottom can often you can often see eights, nines sometimes. So they've had a couple of those sort of big wins against bottom teams. They had a derby away at Sparta, and kind of got a two-two draw of a game they dominated, and I think they drew it home to um, a team I can't remember. But so it's a bit, bit mixed in that respect. They lost the Super Cup, the Johan Cruyff Trophy. Uh, one interesting little minor stat compared to Celtic was how many 
meaningful preseason games that Celtic play, about three, is it four? They played nine, nine preseason friendlies. So <laughs> they're probably a little bit more up to speed than, than what we are in that respect. But um, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not as maybe not as as worried as James. Because I, I just see a lot of. It looks to me like there's a potential for the teams to cancel each other out. I guess is what I'm going to say. Mm. I suspect they've probably got better quality overall. Which, but 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 you know, I think if we're, I don't think we're going to go gung ho under Rodgers. I really don't. I think we'll be a little bit more. Um, pragmatic, but I, th- I don't think I don't think this I don't think getting something out of the game is un- unthinkable. I guess would be my yeah. perhaps my optimistic view. If you ask me to dis- design a team that Celtic were going to play in the Champions League that are better than us, I would ask for a team that's not going to launch the ball over the top of us and not going to press us very high because that is Celtic's weakness. Now, what I do fear is, and I. I always find this fascinating because watching Celtic in the Champions League is almost identical to watching Ireland in international football. And what what has caught Ireland out over the last couple of while is that they're playing opposition that's better than them. They're doing really well because they've got their game plan right. And then the opposition make one change to their uh, to their sort of game plan and it just flips the game entirely. And that's sort of where I fear Celtic in the Champions League this year is it's not that I don't think Celtic can go toe-to-toe or stay in games it's that I think that we'll have a game plan we'll stick so rigidly to those sort of game plans because these are the sort of games that are going to need uh, every player to work on his role at a 100% capacity but better teams with better players can change things much quicker and I think that's what might catch Celtic out this year in the Champions League is that they might look great for the first 20, 30, 40 minutes. But then as soon as the opposition manager makes a change to their setup, I think that's where Celtic will struggle. So that's where I sort of fear against Feyenoord is that uh, we might look good for 40 minutes, but then in the second half, Feyenoord will start to take over. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm probably a little bit more uh, worried about what they'll do with pressing. Their 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 pressing's been... Um, I don't know how to characterize like uneven. I mean, depending on the quality of their opponent. So, for example, in the Europa League last season, they were actually quite aggressive in their pressing. Um, and domestically, when they played, you know, kind of clubs near them like PSV and such, they tended to be more aggressive. So, I, I'm guessing that, and you know, in theory, if they're doing any scouting of our team, <laughs> unlike Rangers, they're. <laughs> Apparently, uh, they're probably going to identify that as a, a, a potential vulnerability that they at least want to explore and test. Um, so I'll, I'll be surprised, particularly at home, meaning on Tuesday, them playing at home, um, if, if that's not part of what they, they try to do. The, the other part is the other thing that they've really excelled at, even you know domestically, relative to, you know, we're talking about Ajax. Alkmaar, PSV. So they've got benchmarks domestically that are, are of a you know pretty high quality. Um, they've been very good the last two seasons um, on a comparative basis in kind of advancing the ball. So whether that's through dribbles um, and or carries. And that to me, and again, this comes down to our, how are we going to play? If we're going to be at, really at all um, progressive in trying to have possession and build up attack that issue for me is a nightmare potentially with transitions and the issues that we've always had in our midfield or at least for as long as i can remember um if you get this level of a team with that athleticism the ability to carry the ball and progress it rapidly against this back five that we're likely to have um that's why you know So I I think about this from two ways, meaning that unless we're going to basically bunker, which is kind of why I think that might be the thing that we should be doing. um, If we, if we're going to try and play on the front foot, that transition issue scares me. And if we're going to try and build out from the back, I'm worried about the, the the pressing aspect. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's why I'm more anxious, I guess. Well, we will wait and see what Celtic do on Tuesday. They have passed, they might have done D this weekend first. So um, <laughs> hopefully that doesn't make me more ne- nervous because I've been watching highlights of Celtic against Man City. Um, last time Brendan Rodgers was in charge when Dembele made his dream for a whole 
when it was like 40 seconds, 50 seconds, something like that. But um, yeah, Celtic were really good that night and it got me excited for the Champions League. So hopefully Dundee don't crush my hopes before we even get to the Feyenoord game. Um, I, and and I will enjoy Tuesday night. I will one-up you on that. I was actually at the Galway CSC for the uh, Celtic versus Paris uh, game when Dembele scored, I think, within like the first minute. <laughs> and I think we ended up losing seven yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, we really, 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 really annoyed them when we did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that that was that yeah. was my uh, my rebuttal to that. So I, I for about yeah. sixty seconds there, it's kind of like my poor wife. Sixty seconds of optimism, and then everything oh, crumbles. <laughs> Well, on that note, we will end the podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much for everybody who stuck by and um, had to listen to that vulgar before we ended uh, ended the show. So apologies to any children in the car as well. You won't understand the joke, but uh, it's, it's, it's not very nice. So don't be repeating that. Uh, James, Alan, that's where we will park the show for this week. Thank you very much. And we will be back next week. Probably you two guys doing the review, plus me later on the week, but that is to be arranged as we have to work around these work schedules. So uh, thanks very much for listening, for watching. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to hit subscribe. Uh, We'll chat to you next week. Good luck. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.